But let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for this third and final part uh, to this message, Lord, becoming overcomers, Lord Jesus. We want to become overcomers, Lord, but we've often and even now try to overcome the wrong things. We try to overcome discouragement or we try to overcome uh, like depression, maybe, or we try to overcome this thing or that thing. Those aren't the targets, Lord. It's these three bullies that we've been talking about. Ourselves, we've got to overcome ourselves, we've got to overcome our sin, and we've got to overcome our, our worldly attraction, our enchantment with the world. So we pray that you'd help us in this regard, Lord. Now that we know what we've got to overcome, we've two Sundays ago we talked about identifying it. Last Sunday we talked about uh, confronting it. And this Sunday, we're going to talk about how to overcome, tips to overcoming these three bullies, Lord. So help us to receive what you have for us this morning. In your name I pray, Christ Jesus. Amen. So real quick, just to kind of go over this. Two Sundays ago, I mentioned Revelations 3.20. You know the scripture probably. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Jesus is knocking on our door. Anyone who hears my voice and opens up the door, remember, that's not just the main door. This scripture is written to Christians. It's talking about inner doors. I, you, I don't know about you, my house has several doors. And if I open up one door, I might still be able to run into the bedroom, lock the door, and keep the bad guy out. All right? So I have multiple doors. Well, in this case, we're not talking about the bad guy. We're talking about Jesus. All right, so I might let him into the main part of my house, but I'm not going to let him into my kitchen. I'm not going to let him into my bedroom. I'm not. There might be. I might lock him out of certain places, and so he comes to the next door, gently knocks. I say, "Who's there?" Jesus. I don't want to let you into my stress area in here. I'm not going to let you in, or I'm not going to let you into my lust. I'm not going to let you into my anger that I have. But he keeps knocking and says. Hey, open up the door. I want, I want to come in. I want to help you with this. And so we read, anybody hears my voice on the other side of the door and opens. And you know what? You and I, we have total authority to open the doors of our own lives. Easy peasy, man. You just open it up and say, Jesus, come on in. Enjoy the smell. It stinks in here. All right? Come on in, Jesus. Clean me up. Clean this part of my life up. And so we open the door. I will come in, and here's what happens. I will eat with you, and you'll eat with me. There's no greater picture of friendship, love, closeness than eating. And Jesus knew that with us, and he used it as, as an example here. So we open the door, and then we start having a fresh relationship with Jesus. We may have had a wonderful relationship for years, but now it's new, it's fresh, it's wonderful, because we're eating in the very room that we had closed him out of. All right, And so what happens, though, is we overlook, or I've overlooked, verses 21 and 22 that say what happens after that. After you eat with him and he with you, the one who basically does these things is victorious. Then you start overcoming. And like you've never overcome before because you're in relationship with the Lord. You're opening door after door after door. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I opened up my heart. 15, 20 times in one week alone. Stress, Jesus, come on in. Anger, Jesus, come on in. Exhaustion, 
Jesus, come on in. Whatever it is that I'm going through, come on in, Jesus. Being overwhelmed and despairing, come on in, Jesus. Opening door after door. I don't know what to do with this situation. Come into that door as well. All right, just open up. So when you do that, he eats with you. Then you start overcoming. And here's where we zoom in, overcoming what? Sin, self, worldliness. But it doesn't stop there. I'll give you the right. After you start overcoming, I'm going to seat you up in heavenly realms with me. It says right here, I'll give you the right to sit with me on my throne. What does that mean? To exercise authority here in your life. Here in this life, not just when you get to heaven right now. I'll give you the right to sit down on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Powerful stuff. And if you say, no, 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 Steve, you're misinterpreting. This is about in the sweet by and by. When you die, when you go to heaven, then you can sit on his throne. No, 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 no. No, no, absolutely not. Ephesians 2 says we've been seated already with Jesus in heavenly realms. And it describes in chapter 1 how high that is, above every power, authority, everything that was put at Jesus' feet is put at our feet when we're seated, but not until we open the door, not until we enter into relationship with him, not until you overcome sin, self, and worldliness. Not until then. And so I just wanted to remind you, we talked about that week one, week two. Last week we talked about Matthew 13 and the, the, the story of the parable. And there comes into clear view these three bullies that we were talking about. Before we can become fruitful, we must overcome these three bullies, sin, self, and, and worldliness. We've got to overcome them. It says you're not going to happen. It's not going to happen until these things are gone. What were the, the three things? That hard ground. Remember that hard hearted the path, the seeds that landed on the path that had been trampled down? That is that's our hearts that are hard. Hard-hearted hearts, disobedient, stubborn, mean, vindictive hearts. And Jesus has to come and plow that up with problems. <laughs> he takes your wor- your problem that you're going through, he's plowing your heart up right now, and it hurts. It's painful. And the second thing were those rocks underneath the soil, just like that deep. What are those rocks? That's your sin. That's my sin. Hidden things, and Jesus comes and pulls back the soil and starts digging around in there and getting that lust out of your heart, getting that greed out of your heart, getting that anger out of your heart, getting all that mess out just one rock at a time, and he leaves a big old gaping hole, and then he fills it in with wonderful, fruitful soil, soft. He gives you The Bible says, I'm going to give you a new heart, a heart of flesh, that feels things, that, that is sensitive in our small group on Wednesday night with some of the, uh, some of the now they're homeless guys, but they were Teen Challenge guys, but they're coming to church. They, the one guy said, before I knew the Lord, I didn't have any feelings, literally. I didn't feel anything. And he talked about the horrible things that he did. But he said, when I gave my heart to God, I started feeling again. That's, that's what we're talking about. So, And then the third thing is, Some seeds fell on thorny ground, and the thorns came up and crushed what could grow up. The thorns just crushed it. And the Bible likens that to the the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, not just wealth, fame, 
greatness, all the things the world has to offer out there, that can crush our fruitfulness. We've got to overcome a love for this world. We've got to overcome it uh, before we can start living that victorious, authoritative life. All right? So collectively, we talk about all three of these things. The Bible refers to them in a couple of different ways. Isn't that the sweetest little sound? Did you just hear that? That was so cute. Um, anyways, sorry. Um, the Bible refers to these three things collectively in, in different things. Calls it the flesh. So if you ever read the, the Bible, it talks about your flesh. It's talking about sin, self, and worldliness. It also refers to it as the old self. Those three things, the old self. It also refers to it as the sinful nature and calls it what it is, <laughs> the sinful nature. All right? We've got to overcome ourselves. We've got to overcome the old self. All right? And every one of us, with the power of God, we can do it. When we have faith in Jesus and we live our life moment by moment and are obedient to him, we can live that overcoming life. All right? So today, here we go. We're going to talk about, good grief, it's already... 20 till, my word. Um, we're going to talk about tips for overcoming. How do we do this? Tips for overcoming sin, self, and worldliness in our lives. Here goes. Number one, starting with tips for overcoming self. Tips for overcoming self. Listen to this. Number one, peer into the Word of God and stare at Jesus' example. Peer into it. Look into it. All right. Did you know your Bible app can you can hit the play button? And Chris, Christine and I were talking about this. You can listen to the Bible. All right. Some people don't like to read. All right. That's all right. If you don't like to read, you can listen to it. All right. It comes by hearing. That's right, man. So if you read or listen, doesn't matter. Peer into the Word of God and stare at Jesus's example. Just stare at it. What was Jesus' pattern? How did he operate? And when you do that, self will diminish more and more and more and more and more. All right? Where did I get this? You are going to love these scriptures. This blew me away as I learned it myself here in the last couple of weeks. But let's start with this one. Just kind of start from the top. Romans 12, 2, it says, Don't conform to the pattern of this world pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your life. See, if you stare at the world, guess what? You'll become like the world, all right? If you peer at the world and all its glamour and, and wonder, there's not a lot of wonder there, but we tend to think there is, you will become like the world. So it says don't conform. Don't look at the world. Don't conform to its pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on transformation. Let's look at Romans 8.29, though. Talking about patterns. It's talking about staring at something. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also, be, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We were in prayer meeting, and Linda Kidder prayed this very prayer. To be conformed to the image of his Son. So you can, you can suit two patterns. You can suit the world's pattern and look at it and become it, or you can look at the pattern of Jesus, the image of Jesus, and be conformed to that image. All right? So we're talking about staring. Yes, ma'am. 
Just so you understand, that word conform, it's, it's the image of someone shaping something with a mold. So you can be molded into the image of the world, or you can let God work inside you, ouch, and be conformed, molded into the image of his son. So it's beyond just looking and staring. Right, but you start by looking at something. That's my point. So very good point. We're going to look and we're going to do something with it. But the first place, you got to start looking at what you're trying to, to, to get at. But here's, here's the scripture where I get this from. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Listen to this. This is amazing. I'm reading it in the Amplified Version. We continue to behold as in a mirror the glory of God. And are constantly being transfigured or conformed or molded into his very own image. Do you get that? I'm looking into a mirror, but I'm not seeing who I am. I'm seeing who I'm to become. The image of Christ Almighty. So I start looking at what I want to become, not who I am today. See, what we do constantly is we look in the mirror and we say, oh, uh, 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 I don't like what I see. And, and we get down on ourselves. But the Bible says, continue to behold in the word of God the mirror of the glory of the Lord. So it's a mirror of the future, not a mirror of the present. So look at what you're to become not necessarily who you are today. It says constantly, constantly, progressively being transformed into the image of Christ, transfigured into his very own image in the very, in ever increasing splendor. Listen to this, from one degree of glory to another. One degree, just a little bit, all right? If your temperature for God is 99 degrees, let's go to 100 degrees. If your temperature for God is 50, just go to 51. But you look constantly, be studying the Word of God to see the pattern outlined from the Bible and then do exactly what Linda said. Go ahead and start conforming, all right? When God starts pinching over here, react to it. Say, okay, God. I'm going to collaborate with you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to cooperate with you. And that molding, whoo, it hurts sometimes, right? It hurts. But you know what? We've got to cooperate with God. The first step is to look at the pattern of what God has for you. I challenge you, study this this week. The image of God. You only get to the image of God if you'll look at it and then work with him as he does. That's why Hebrews 12, 2 says... Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at him. Look at him. Now, I'll give you this example. This last week, oh, it was such a pleasure. I used to coach my son wherever he is. Kyle, I was, I was a horrible coach. All right, I'm not saying it was just fun, though. I would coach his six-man football team. I never played football. All right, how can someone coach? I don't know. But anyways, I learned little by little how football works, how you play football, how to coach football, how to practice for it. And by the third year, man, with God's grace, God's goodness, we were killing every team. And I wasn't the only coach. There was a couple of us. We were killing every team we were playing. It was the funnest part of 
coaching ever. I loved it. Well, I thought that was over. You know how God gives you seasons of enjoyment? You enjoy this thing, and then it comes to an end, and then he gives you something else. And, and so I thought that season's over. I'll never coach football again. Well, dummy, you know, I've got another son, and the opportunity worked out for him. And I, Kyle was in full contact. Cole is in flag football. Long story short, I started coaching again. We had our first game last uh, yesterday. And so it was so much fun. But you know what I remembered is I stopped, I would watch games and try to see what the good, the good practice was and then try to imitate to that, that good practice. You see what I mean? If there was blocking and tackling, instead of looking how I, we failed the last Thursday or Friday that we played or Saturday, then I looked at the right way of doing it and then imitated that imitated that. So always looking for the right way to do things, and then you go and you imitate the same thing. That's what we got to do with Jesus. Look at for what's for what God calls good, and you start doing the same good that you're seeing, all right? You look and you, you, you imitate it. All right, can't get hung up there. We've got a long ways to go. Second tip for overcoming self. So again, if I'm looking at Jesus, my self is going to diminish and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. If I'm not looking at Jesus, it's going to grow and grow and grow and grow. So I've got to observe what he's doing. Number two, though, let your current suffering finish off your old self. Let your current suffering. Tips for overcoming self. Guess what? You've got a weapon right there, and you hate that weapon because that weapon hurts. It's hurting you. But I want you to stop and think right now, and it may not be too difficult for you to remember, what are you suffering from right now? What is causing you to suffer right now? And use that suffering to finish off your old self. Finish it off, all right? What do I mean by this? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 2 or 12, 7. Therefore, This is the Apostle Paul. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. All right, what does conceited mean? Self-centered, proud. It's the very thing we're talking about. The Apostle Paul was struggling with pride. He was struggling with self-centeredness. And he said, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, how many of you have been poked by a thorn before? It hurts, even if it's a minor prick. You want to say something that you shouldn't whenever you poke yourself like that. He was given a thorn in the flesh, and he goes on. He said, it was a messenger from Satan. It was horrible. He said he, he, he considered it a torment. Have you ever been tormented by somebody before or some thought or, or sickness? Have you ever been tormented before? This is what he was going through. This is suffering he said three times, I pleaded with God, please take this away. Have you asked God to take away your suffering maybe even this week? God, please, I'm sick and tired of this. Take it away. But listen to what God told him. He said, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Why am I suffering? God's trying to kill that old self, that's that nasty self that's in you and me, that flesh, that sinful nature, that pride, that conceit, whatever it is, 
And so you use that suffering and say, all right, God, use it until the old self is completely wiped out of my life. Did Paul have that thorn in the flesh the rest of his life? I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. There's several theories of what that thorn in the flesh could be. Let's go ahead and think of what they might have been. One of all, one of them is he admitted to having weak eyesight. If you read and study the Bible, you realize that Apostle Paul had weak eyesight by his own admission. Could it have been that? Maybe. I don't know. We're surmising here. Another thing that is surmised is that he was persecuted. It's well documented. He got beat up. He got killed. He was shipwrecked. He went through all kinds of misery. And maybe that was the thorn in the flesh. I don't know. The fact of the matter is it really doesn't matter. The question is, is what is your thorn in the flesh? And what is God trying to accomplish through it? As soon as you die to self, I would venture to say your thorn in the flesh will be removed. All right? Let God work the old, nasty self out of you through suffering. Hebrews 12, 7, and then skipping to verse 10, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. He's talking to godly Christians here. Endure hardship as discipline. If you skip down to verse 10, it says, Our fathers disciplined us a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. Listen to this statement. Holiness occurs in the absence of selflessness. Holiness, God's holiness, happens whenever self is moved out of the way, mortified, killed. So he disciplines us to get self out of the way so that his holy presence can be in our lives. Use suffering to put to death your old self. Use it. Cooperate with God. Don't ask for the suffering to be removed until the old self has been removed. So that's what we pray. God, and that's why, that's why I worry sometimes. May we pray, God, heal so-and-so. God, save so God, deliver so-and-so. You know what? God's working in that so-and-so's life through that hardship. And so maybe our prayer would be, God, help that selfishness in that person to die so that that sickness can be taken away. We need more insight sometimes, I believe, into the way we pray. And so... How, does self, how do we overcome self? Use your suffering to overcome self. Cooperate with God through that. I could say many more things, but I'll quote Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Who's I? That old selfish nature. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in my body, I now live with by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Guys, we got to die to selfishness, plain and simple. And God allows nasty hardships to come our way to mortify self, to mortify self. He comforts us in the middle of those things. He helps us in the middle of those things. But the end of those things is the end of self. Let's look at tips to overcoming sin. Tips to overcoming sin. Here's a couple of them. Number one, repent as many times as you need to. 
repent. The most powerful thing in the whole universe, in my opinion, is repentance. When somebody repents of something, their lives are changed. And the problem is we confuse repentance with forgiveness. God, would you forgive me? Well, I haven't repented. I just asked him to forgive me. No, but when I come to God and say, I did this wrong, God. I want to turn away from it. Please forgive me. That's what repentance is. And so Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing might come to you from the Lord. Did you hear that? Repentance brings refreshment. So if you're in a time of dryness, misery, start repenting. Say, God, I repent of this sin. I repent of that sin. And you know what? Times of refreshing start coming to you. I've experienced this myself. In the toughest times, I'll repent, and God just brings, a, a repent, a, brings refreshing to my soul. Look at 1 John 1, 1.9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so you say, Steve, but I've repented many times and I keep falling into the same things. Well, you know what the Bible says about that, right? Look at this. In Matthew 18, 21, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, I tell you, 70 times, seven times. What does that tell us about our God? He'll forgive you 70 times seven. That means infinitely. You keep repenting from God, he'll keep forgiving you. Even if you trip over the same attitude, same action, same word, over and over and over and over again, he will forgive you over and over and over again. So how many times should I repent? Until I'm done with that sin. (laughs) That's how many times I should repent. And I'm not going to quit repenting until it's gone, 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 gone. So tips for overcoming sin, I'm going to repent until I need to... I can stop repenting. I'll just keep doing it. And I'll never forget, I've mentioned this before, but there's a a person at work that just hurt me. I mean, she was a vicious, mean lady, all right? She hurt me, and so I woke up the next day, and I could tell I had unforgiveness in my heart, and I said, I forgive her. I got halfway through the day, came back up again, I forgive her. Next day, same thing. Next day, next week, next month, next month. And finally, until I felt she had been forgiven, I kept forgiving her over and over and over and over again. That's what we do with repentance. We keep repenting over and over again. Number two, tips for overcoming sin. Speak and declare God's word that he is not condemning you. Speak and declare God's word that he is not condemning you because he's not. He's not condemning you. Look at this. Romans 8.1 it says, Therefore... Okay, so let's say you've messed up for the 50,000th time on the same thing. You read this scripture. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who's in Christ Jesus? The person that believes on the name of the Lord. All right? The person who's made Jesus Lord and Savior. So I've messed up for the 50th time. This condemnation comes, this guilt, this just misery comes over me. And so what do I do? I get in front of the mirror in my bathroom or I get in the car and I'm driving and I say, there is therefore no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. And I declare the word of God over myself. There's no condemnation. I've repented. I've turned from my sin, but I've done it 50 times. 
But here I am again, and there is therefore no condemnation for me. Why? Because in verse 2 it says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law or the control of the Spirit has gripped me and gives me life and has set me free from the law or the control of sin. And I'm living today free, a free man. If I mess up again, I'll go through this process all over again. There's therefore no condemnation for me. And I tell myself, I declare the word of God. We can read the Bible, we can study the Bible, we can meditate on it, but we need to speak the Bible. We need to speak the Bible in prayer. We need to speak the Bible to ourselves, speak the truth to others, speak the Bible. It's powerful when we do that. Romans 8, 34, it says, Who then is the one who condemns? Listen to this. No one. I quoted it, but I'm reading it. No one. Who is it that condemns those who are in Christ? No one. No one. You say, well, I feel condemned. Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. But no one is condemning you. It says, Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for you. He's on your side. It says, if Christ be for us, who can be against us? He is 120% on your side if you were in Christ. He's on your side. So who's condemning? Can the devil condemn you? No. They can try. But he doesn't have the power of condemnation. Only God can condemn someone to hell. Satan can't do it. Now He can speak condemning words, and if you receive them, good for you. But we can't accept those condemnations. It says no one can condemn. Only God can condemn. How do, where, where did I get this from? Look at this in John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Do you hear that? Do you believe in God? And I'm not just talking to you believe there is a God. <laughs> okay, I'm talking about faith in Jesus that drives you to follow him. That's the believing that I'm talking about. You believe in God that way, you trust him, you lean on him, you put your confidence in him, you pray to him, you read your Bible, you come to church, you believe in God, there's no condemnation for you. But look at this. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. The one who doesn't put their faith in God stands condemned already. Condemned to what? Eternal punishment. Eternal wrath. But it says, if you're in Christ, we, we already looked at this in Romans 8, 34. If you're in Christ, no one can officially condemn you. All right? So then you ask, but why do I feel condemned? Because God knows I've messed up a hundred times. Why do I feel condemned? Well, if you look at 1 John 3, 20, you'll see that your heart can condemn you. Your heart, you can feel condemned because you yourself are condemning yourself. You feel condemned because you messed up. But in 1 John 3.20, it says, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. Praise God. Your, your heart might be chattering at you. The devil might be chattering at you. But God is greater than your heart. And God is certainly greater than the devil. Do you hear that? So how do, we, how do we overcome sin? We've got to overcome the condemnation of sin. We've got to overcome the condemnation of sin. Now let me tell you something real quick so I'm not misinterpreted here. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation and conviction. 
Condemnation is literally a death sentence to hell. (laughs) That's condemnation. You're done, you're through, you're going to eternal punishment. But conviction, and you know what? If, if you feel like God's telling you that, you know what that means? It, it pushes you away from God. When you feel condemned, have you ever felt condemned? You feel like just hiding from God and running away from God and getting away. You don't you want to come to church because you feel so bad about yourself. All right? But conviction is different. Conviction means to expose, to put a light on, and to open up and say, look, you have a problem here, and I want to convince you of that problem. All right? That's conviction. So when you walk in these doors, sometimes you feel like, oh, I messed up, but I want to come to God, and I want him to help me. That's conviction, all right? And this is talked about. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but in Rome, in uh, John 3, 18, 19, and 20, you'll see this con- these concepts uh, acknowledged and, and discussed, all right? And so if God convicts you of something, open up your heart. The Bible talks about coming into the light and saying, Jesus, look, I've got this problem. Help me with it. Conviction and condemnation are two very, very different spiritual, uh, spiritual things. All right? Let's, uh, let's move on. Here's, here's some thoughts. How do you distinguish God's voice from the enemy's voice? Have you ever stopped to think about that? How do I know if that's God telling me that or if that's the enemy telling me that? Listen to this. A friend showed me this on Facebook. God's voice stills you. The enemy's voice rushes you. All right, God says, here, hold on. Just don't move quickly. Don't be impetuous. But the enemy's always, go, go, go. Let's get this done. You got to get this done. Now, now, now. All right. Again, this is going to be on my notes on, on the, on the uh, website if you want to look it up. God's voice leads you. The enemy's voice pushes you. God's voice reassures you. The enemy's voice frightens you. God's voice enlightens you. I love this. The enemy's voice confuses you. <laughs> God's voice encourages you. The enemy's voice discourages you. God's voice comforts you. The enemy's voice worries you. God's voice calms you. The enemy's voice obsesses you. And boy, have I experienced and seen that many times in my life. God's voice convicts you. The enemy's voice condemns you. Do you hear that? We need to distinguish. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. We've got to get to the place where we recognize God's voice, recognize the enemy's voice, and shut the enemy up. All right, tip number two for for overcoming sin. Fast from your source of sin. Fast from your source of sin. Don't diet from it. Just fast from it. (laughs) And say, God, I commit to you for the next week, I'm going to get away from this source that keeps tripping me up. For me, that might be the pantry in my house. I don't just fast from sweets. I fast from looking in the refrigerator. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that men do that? They'll go open the refrigerator and just look. And it's like they're watching TV or something, all right? <clears throat> so you don't go there. You fast from that source. We don't diet from it. So Mark 9.29 says, He said unto them, 
this kind only comes forth or comes out by prayer and fasting. We got to do some fasting to get rid of sin in our lives. We have to fast from the source of sin and say, from X date to X date, I'm fasting from this because I'm going to prove to the enemy this is not going to control me. This is not going to control me. What do we fast from? Toxic relationships? Do you have a bad relationship or a bad group of friends? You fast from those friends. I'm not going to hang out with those friends. Or I fast from media. Or I'm going to fast from reading certain books. Or I'm going to fast from a certain type of food. Or I'm going to fast. And, and so I, somebody's going to take this totally wrong. But I think you have to start somewhere. I'm going to fast from clubs and bars. Maybe you, your problems with hooking up with the wrong people is in a club or a bar. And the, Christian, the hardcore Christian would say, you need to stop going there. Well, you start somewhere. You start by fasting from it. <laughs> and say, I'm not going to go to the places that are tripping me up. I would venture to say that drug addicts need to do the same thing. The Christian would say, well, you never take drugs. Well, I'm already on drugs, so i got to start somewhere. I'm going to fast from drugs. <laughs> I'm going to fast from alcohol. For somebody who's lazy, I'm going to fast from my lazy boy. When I walk in from work or whatever I'm doing, I'm not going to first thing sit down. I'm going to go help my wife, my spouse. I'm going to go do the dishes. I'm going to go work. I'm going to go pick the weeds. I'm going to go do something. And then I'm going to go to bed. I'm never even going to sit down with my lazy boy for a whole week. Maybe that's what you need to fast from. All right? Fast from certain conversations with your spouse that trigger maybe explosive conversations. Fast from excessive busyness, or maybe you need to fast from certain thoughts. But fast from your source of sin. Take a fast from it and commit to God. For the next X number of days, I'm fasting from this. Luke 9.23 said, um, Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Cut off from the source of sin. Deny yourself Take up your cross, your, yourself, your sin, your worldly attraction, and follow me. you got to fast from things to, to get broken free. All right? Tips for, for overcoming worldly attraction. There's just a couple of them that I'll share with you. Matthew, uh, excuse me, before I tell you, it's, it's uh, find one thing that you like about God and enjoy it. So here you have enjoyment of the world. You love the world. All right? Find one thing that you like about God and start enjoying that thing. Like what? Peace? Do you like peace? Well, enjoy the peace that God gives you. And you'll love the world less and less. If you love joy, enjoy joy. (laughs) And you'll love the world less and less and less. Do you love God's word? Study it. And you'll love the world less and less. Do you love prayer? Enjoy prayer. And you'll love the world less and less. Do you love faith? Do you love God's gifts? Do you love Jesus maybe? Enjoy Jesus and you'll love the world less. Find one thing that you love about God and enjoy it. Enjoy it. Psalms 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. All right? You got to enjoy God if you're going to stop enjoying other things. Matthew 6, 19 and 20, it says, you know, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Start, start enjoying what God has given you, and you won't be attracted to the world nearly as much. 
John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when I'm most satisfied in God. Satisfy yourself in him, and he'll be glorified through that. Two, tip number two for how to overcome worldly affections is spend time paying attention to God. Spend time paying attention to God. Daniel could have loved the world. Daniel of the Bible, he could have loved the world so much. He was at the highest realms of the biggest empire of the world, the Babylonian Empire. He could have all the women he wanted, all the money that he wanted, all the power that he wanted, all the entertainment that he wanted. But you know what he did? Three times a day, he paid attention to God. Three times a day. And he didn't love all those things because he was paying attention to God. We need to be attentive to God. I won't spend a lot more time on that. But number three is let go of worldly pursuits. In Matthew 8, 34, it says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, lets go of their life, then they will find their life. They will find their life. Amen. So, Abraham finally had a son after 100 years. (laughs) Finally had a son. And you know what God told him after he'd had that son? He said, I want you to give me your son. In a very grotesque way, I I want you to sacrifice your son to me. And you know what? The next morning, Abraham got up, took his son, took a three-day hike, went to tie his son up, and offer him to the Lord. (laughs) He let go and held on to God. We've got to let go of earthly pursuits, and it's got to be that that serious sometimes. I let go of this, and I'm taking on hold of you. I know you can go into extremes because I've experienced it personally. We've got to be careful that that's God telling us. But my point here is not so much balance. My point here is let go of earthly pursuits and take hold on to godly pursuits. Stop chasing the career as much. Stop chasing the money so much. Stop chasing the fame. Stop chasing your dreams and chase God. Chase God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for this time. Lord, I know we've gone a little bit long today, but Lord, it's important that we know how to beat sin. We know how to beat self, and we know how to beat worldliness. We've got to know how to do these things, and today we've studied some tips on how to do it, godly examples on how to do it. So, God, I pray that when we walk out these doors today, Lord, that you would, that, that these things would stick to us, Lord God, that we would understand the difference between conviction and condemnation, for instance, and we'd realize No one can condemn us. Only God has the authority and the power to condemn us. The devil doesn't have, he didn't even have the ability to condemn us. He can talk, but it's not a final and ultimate condemnation. Our hearts talk, condemnation. No, no, no. Only you have the power, and it says that you're interceding for us. The Bible says that you're interceding for us, and during this brief time in our lives, If we will turn to you in faith and believe on the name of the Lord so much so that we will follow you the rest of our days, you say there's no condemnation for you anymore. 
All I'm going to do from this point forward is I'm going to work with you in convicting sin in your life, little by little, moving one degree to another degree. Praise God. Lord, help us to focus in on the pattern of Jesus and say, that's the pattern I want to follow. That's the, that's the mold that I want to fit and then cooperate with you. Lord, as Linda said, Lord, if you're pushing over here, then we cooperate with you. And we're conformed to your image, Lord, one degree at a time. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. You know, right now, I'd like anybody, you're saying, you know what? I want to do that. I want to be an overcomer. You've shown me how to do it. You've identified it. You've, uh, you've, con- you've helped me confront it. And now I just want to do it. I want you to come up here and I want to pray for you. You're saying, hey, that's me. I want to do it. I want to go for it. I want to go all the way with God. We're going to pray right now that God helps you. You made up your mind. You said, I want to, I want to do this. I want to be an overcomer. And I, I've, I've been fighting the wrong battles. I've been fighting the wrong struggles. And now I realize, hey, it's me. <laughs> I've got to overcome self. I've got to overcome self in order for this to work. And so we're just going to pray briefly right now for you that God empowers you and strengthens you. You know who your bullies are now. There's no more secrets. There's no more ambiguity or vagueness. Say, I want to do this. So, Lord God, I pray for all of us, all of us in this room, Lord God. Lord, I have decided I'm going to follow Jesus. I've seen the tricks of the enemy. I thought it was my depression I was struggling with. I thought it was my despair that I was struggling with. I thought it was my suffering that I was struggling with. And no, it turns out it was myself. It was my sin. It was my my worldly ambitions, Lord. That's the root of all my troubles, Lord God. So I fight against that in the name of Jesus. I fight against that in the name of Jesus. That's what I'm coming against. That's my giant That's who I'm standing toe-to-toe with. Hallelujah, Jesus. So, Lord, I pray a simple prayer over all of us, Lord, here this morning. All of us, Lord, help us to be able to overcome the way that you've called us to overcome. Help us to overcome the way that you've called us to overcome, Lord. Because if we'll open the door, let you come in, we begin to overcome, Lord. We'll begin to reign in this life. We'll begin to have authority in this life, oh God. We'll be strong in the Lord and in his might in this life, Lord. We don't have to reign with you in the future, Lord. Yes, we will, but, but most importantly right now, Lord, we can reign in this life in authority over ourselves, Lord. Lord, and, and as we do that, you'll give us the keys to the kingdom and you say, here, go bind and and release. Go bind and release. Do what the, what, what the kingdom of heaven has for you to do. Be an authoritative man and woman for God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. So, Lord, as the word says, Lord, we entrust ourselves to you. And I'm convinced, Lord, that what I've entrusted to you, you will guard against that day. Lord, we give our lives to you. We entrust ourselves to you. Lord, some of us need to let go and take hold of you, as we were talking about. Let go of worldly pursuits and say, I want to start, I want to take hold of godly pursuits. I want to take hold of godly pursuits, thank God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, so help us. That's my prayer right now. Lord, help us. Help me. Help each one of us, Lord God. 
begin to overcome those three things in our lives and, and see incredible positive results from it, Jesus. Help us to do it to your glory, and we thank you, God, for it. In your name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.